This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. All right, everyone, welcome to our monthly One Thing webinar series. Every single month, we have one conversation live. We find a best-selling author whose book is aligned with the one thing, somebody that we respect what they have to say, and we bring them to you live and later on demand on the podcast because ultimately, we want to help you better invest your time. That's what we're here to talk about. It's our most valuable resource, yet the challenge is most people go through their days spending it. And it's because, I don't know, David, were you ever taught in school how to invest it? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So... We are here today to, to take an angle on the one thing, and we're having a leadership conversation. For those of you that listened to episode 283 of the One Thing podcast with the man that you see in front of your face today about the trust edge, we talked about how you as an individual can develop trust with other people and how that is the one thing that makes everything else easier or unnecessary. Today, we are having a conversation about what it means to become a trusted leader. So the person that you're going to get to meet today is a best-selling author of The Trust Edge and his brand new book, The Trusted Leader, will be coming out later this month on the 30th, which you can pre-order at trustedleaderbook.com slash one thing. With that, let's get into this conversation with David Orsager. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Well, good to have you back, man. Hey, appreciate it. Love what you guys are doing. So take us back in time. Where did this idea of trust come from for you? Well, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you had to have this terrible upbringing. You had to have this thing happen, that thing happen. Now, I'll give you the middle first. And that is, I did have an epiphany after teaching on leadership and these kind of things, 1999 or somewhere around there where I was uh, working with organizations. They kept saying, we got a leadership issue. I'm like, ah, oh, it looks like a trust issue. We got a sales issue. It looks like a trust issue. And that led to the research and books and more research. Now we put out one of the biggest studies of its kind and working companies. And, and all that process has fueled the passion. But if I go way back, where did it really come from? Some people think they only find truths in tragedies. You can actually learn a lot from good, from the greatness too. And so I was 10 or 11 years old. I, it was it was growing up under great leadership on a farm in central Minnesota. So I always wondered, why was my dad so loved? Why did people want to work for my dad on this 1,500-acre bean farm in north central Minnesota? And our farm was eight miles from the nearest town of 500 people. And, and what I remember about this day, this day would be a great example of what I'm talking about. 10 or 11 years old, all my older siblings were off the farm by then. 
Five in the morning, we had breakfast. Five thirty in the morning, we jumped out in the blue Chevy pickup truck to check the crops. Mom was in the house, uh, just stayed in the house after breakfast, and we drove down the quarter mile driveway, field to field, irrigator to irrigator, checking the crops on the far reaches of the farm. It's a public dirt road. I don't know what farmer or neighbor left it there. You can't see another farm from ours, but there are other farmers driving around. And there was some trash in the middle of the dirt road. And I know one thing, my daddy does not like litter. I knew exactly <laughs> what I was supposed to do when he swerved my pickup truck over that pickup truck over in such a way that my door was immediately above the litter. I opened the door, I reached down. And I'm 10 or 11 years old. Nobody around. I reached down, I pick up the Playboy magazine. Now, I am not here to tell you what to believe. I used to be an ethics professor, not here to tell you what you should believe, shouldn't believe, what's right or wrong. I am here to tell you, if you act on what you say you don't believe, you lose trust in less than a second. And I say that again real quick. If you act on what you say you don't believe, you will lose trust in less than a second. And I knew what my daddy said he believed about this kind of thing. I'd he'd seen him mentor our tough, tired guys on the farm. I'd seen him mentor my older siblings. I'd seen him, I'd seen him, and I heard what he said, but this day I would see it. We kept going from field to field and irrigator to irrigator, and pretty soon it's about mid-morning on the farm. And some of you might know what that is, probably about 7:30 in the morning. But we came into the home front up the quarter mile driveway. I jumped out of the pickup truck at the house help mom or play or I don't know what I did. My dad then drove another 100 yards out to the shop where he started to work on some tractors, combine, that kind of thing. From the, the house, you can't see the backside of the house. You can't see the tractors. You can't see the shop. It's 100 yards away. The phone rang. Some of you might remember when there was one phone on a farm with a cord attached. And you know, mom would took a message. It was for dad. But then no, nothing used to be so urgent. She would just put the message on dad's lunch spot. But for some reason on this day, she took the message and she said, she said, David, go give this to your dad. I took the message. I ran out in the attached garage. No way he would know I was coming, hear me, see me. He lost most of his hearing in the Korean War. But I was coming. But I paused inside where he couldn't see or hear me. And on that one entry door, was the only little window that would see at the whole backside of the farm. And I still don't know why today, but what I saw through that window would change my life forever. Because I watched my daddy from 100 yards away, knowing what he said he believed, today seeing it. I've watched him pull himself out from under a tractor. I stayed inside still as could be. I don't know why even still. I stayed in there instead of running through the door, but I paused. And I watched him pull him out himself up from the tractor he was working on. I watched him walk around the other side of the combine. I watched him walk up to the other side of that blue Chevy pickup truck a hundred yards away. I watched him. I watched him reach under the seat, pick up that Playboy magazine. And then I watched him keep his arm outstretched and walk 30 paces to the shop furnace where I watched him immediately throw it into the fire. Now, I'm not here to tell anybody what to believe, but I will tell you, as I watched him do those kinds of things when no one or he thought no one was looking, I learned a little bit about trust and why people trusted him. You know, we talk about in our work being the same on stage and off stage. And he was the same on stage and off stage. And when I think of 
their 50th anniversary, hundreds of people came to see mom and dad, you know, in the, and, and, and celebrate them. They all love from Alaska and the UK and people came back and now it's 60 something anniversary. But I, you know, we, we often learn from, I remember in our grad work, toxic leadership and, and that kind of thing. But you know what? My message in this moment is you, I, we can be great leaders. And through that example, we can actually change the world too. And that's what we hope for. In fact, one more thing here is people think, David, you you do a lot to try to create trusted leaders, trusted organizations, even, even trusted global governments. You know, we work on corruption issues in East Africa and around the world. And the problem with just being trusted, which is the name of the book, Trusted Leader, the problem is people can manipulate ways of mm. trust to look like it without actually being worthy of it. What we're really talking about is being trustworthy, and that's when we gain the greatest authentic advantage. Uh, and that's maybe the one thing. Yeah, I love that. With everything that's going on in the world right now, why does trust matter more than ever? Well, you know, it, it matters more than ever. And people say often, this, this stuff, Dave, it's so timely, but it's also timeless. It always was the most important. When when we look at the research and we do, you know, like I said, the trust outlook every year, one of the biggest studies of its kind. And we kept finding, number one, 92% of people would love their organization more if they could trust their leadership. Number one, ahead of being paid more, more autonomy, they want to trust their leadership. So people either want to be leaders that they can trust, trusted leaders, or they want to follow leaders they can trust. Why it matters more than ever, you know, also is. The research keeps showing trust is the leading indicator. Everything else lags. So people are solving the wrong issue. In fact, that's why I wrote the second book or third book, I guess, but the trust leader is that is, is the reason is people are solving the wrong root issue and trust is always the root issue. So we think it's a leadership issue. It never is. The reason I follow a leader or not is trust. It's not, I think it's a sales issue. The reason I, I buy from someone or not is trusted. We think it's a marketing issue. The only way to amplify a marketing message is increase trust in the messenger. Maybe today, as as you and I know, with the challenges of our world, what about diversity, inclusion, equity? The biggest Harvard study shows diversity diversity on its own pits people against each other unless we increase trust. Trust is the only way to get the great research-based benefits of a diverse team. So trust I want to bring to light that trust is the core issue. When they deal with that, they actually deal with the real issue that drives retention, attrition, sales, and a host of other things. Mm-hmm. In, in episode 283, when we talked about the trust edge, we, we went pretty deep on the eight pillars of trust. I want to review them from a high level here because I think they matter before we dive into things people can do as leaders to better build trust. Absolutely. So just to note, you know, they were even this year again from an outside university, these eight pillars were through triangulated revalidation, you know, validated as the way trust is built globally. This is research-based content. Each of the eight pillars is is uh for clarity, each research funnel starts with a C word. That doesn't mean it's some motivational book. It's it's a research funnel, you know, of, of how we can define this. So I'll whip through them fast if that's all right. Go for it. Eight pillars of trust, relatively co-equal from the research. You need all eight to gain this great advantage of being trusted. Number one, clarity. We trust the clear and we mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. Number two, compassion. We trust those, what we learn in the research, we trust those that care beyond themselves. We we don't want to be accountable to someone that doesn't care at all beyond themselves. Number three, character. 
some people think this is everything, and it's important. We, we, we trust those that do what's right or what's easy, and we have a seven-step process for driving high character into organizations. Many people are incentivized against the character they want to build through the wrong kind of sales incentives or other things, but bribery issues in certain parts of the world are incenting the wrong character. We have to look at that in organizations. Number four is competency. This, this, this pillar... You know, I might trust Jeff here, of course, to take my kids to the ball game because of character, compassion. That doesn't mean I'll trust Jeff to give me a root canal, right? Because of competence. You've got to be competent. If you're leading the way you were 20 years ago, I don't trust you. Sailing the way you were 10 years ago, I don't trust you. You got to stay fresh and relevant and capable. And one thing listeners absolutely care about staying fresh and relevant and capable. So we'll move on to the next pillar, which is commitment. We trust those that stay committed in the face of adversity. If you think of People that left a legacy in the world, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, or Joan of Arc, they were, they were people that were committed to a cause beyond themselves, often to death, and they were trusted because of the commitment. And you know, under this one, you just got to understand it. You don't get commitment without giving it. The only way to rebuild trust is making keep a commitment. Commitment matters. The next pillar is connection. People trust those that are willing to connect and collaborate. You know, each mm. of these pillars has counterforces in, in an organization. So we're, when we're looking at an organization, if we see siloing or something like that, we, we know we have a counterforce to this connection pillar. The seventh pillar is contribution. The number one word that came out of this research funnel was results. We trust results. You have to, you can't just have compassion without getting results. You can't just get results without compassion. You have to have all eight, but you got to, you know, I go in for surgery, you know, surgeon cuts off the wrong leg. We got a problem because I, I might be a compassionate <laughs> surgeon, but I didn't get results, right? So final pillar is consistency. This is just, it's king and queen of the pillars because sameness is trusted. If you're, for whatever you do, good or bad, if you're late all the time, I will in fact trust you to be late. The only way to build a mm -hmm. reputation, consistency, the only way to build a brand, consistency. So that's the eight. And, and just to say it, I believe you can solve every, without ego, I hope, you can solve every organizational leadership issue against these eight. So I'm not saying it's easy. I know how to do it all. But we've contextualized this for global work across you know, organizations, the world, pro sports teams. Uh, I'm just saying that if you can actually define it by these, you solve the real issue. So just a quick example, we might think we have an engagement issue. We don't. The only way to get engagement is trust. We might think we have a referral issue or net, net promoter score issue. The only way to drive that is, is trust. Or uh, the One good example is we got a communication issue. Jeff, we got a communication issue. Actually, at the core, you never have a communication issue. Communication is happening all the time. When we define it this way, we solve the real problem. Clear communication is trusted, unclear isn't. Compassion is, hateful isn't, and so forth. Yeah, that makes sense. I, over the last five and a half years, have recognized the power of questions. Realizing that the moment you ask a great question, the future can actually change. Because you shift what they focus on. And I know in, in your experience, you have had three questions that have helped you take really big ideas into really simple actions. And for you personally, it helped you lose 52 pounds in five months. And that same process helped a company triple their sales in 90 days. Talk to us about those questions. So I will argue, this is great. Thank you, by the way. This I'm passionate about this process. And it comes under the clarity pillar, but it can lead to consistency and commitment and other things. But many questions actually don't take an idea to an action. And 
many people think a, a, a lot of the questions of the consultants of our day, and they're good ones. Simon Sinek, the why. That's a good question to have purpose, right? No doubt about it. I agree. Jim Collins, the who. Get the right who's on the bus. That's also important, and it's very good. We want the right who's on the bus. What I've seen often, though, more often than I'd like to admit is I see buses full of great who's singing about their why, kumbaya, right off the cliff. So the three questions, the three most overlooked questions that actually drive strategic clarity, that take an idea to an action, that actually give hope. Try to listen as if for the first time, and we'll get through this process in a way that you can use it. The number one question is, how? How are we going to get there? Okay. The second question, way more important. It is, but how? And the most important question of all, of course, is how? You have to get used to asking how at least three times to get to the clarity I'm talking about. And most people don't. How, how? It might take seven. So this, by the way, is a great process to get to the one thing. How are you going to do that? How are you gonna, not more hows. I'm talking how down. So, so let's take I, I, one of the biggest healthcare organizations in North America, just to make this stick a little bit. We're, um, we're at a private location. They're losing HCAP funding. They're losing patients. We, we, we went through the pillar framework and process, and we've done all this work. We've got 100 people. I, finally, I said to the CEO, what do, what do you want to see? What do you need to change here? He said, we are losing in our culture. We have to get a better culture here. I said, great. How, how do you want to start to do that? You know all this stuff. How do you want to start? He said, I think we should start with clarity. You start with clarity. Let's just, I think that would help. Okay, great. How are you going to be more clear? His answer, a CEO. Um, we're going to communicate more. Do I trust him yet? <laughs> no, not for a second. Okay, great. How are you going to communicate more? Um, okay, uh, he talks to his team a little bit. We got it. We're going to hold each other accountable. Now, you and I both know people have accountability as a value, and I'll ask them, how do you hold people accountable here? And they're like, I, um, uh, accountability stuff they don't know. I said, how? Asked how seven more times. And then I went through this process with the senior leaders. Every leader came up with something they could do today or tomorrow. And that organization, seven years later, said that process was the tipping point of change for their organization. The key is how you do that, how, 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 until you can act on it today or tomorrow. And by the way, global governments, Two of the biggest five companies, three of them in the world, we've been through this process on, and they've been able to get to clarity, even though they started saying we got 22 rocks and 45 goals. Nope. A how you can act on today or tomorrow. The healthcare thing. I mean, I mean, excuse me, the weight thing. I started saying to people that live, you know, that have to, you know, fly to 100 events a year and, and, and eat at banquets like you and me and get invited to these things. How do you stay fit on the road? They said the same thing around the world. Four words. Eat less, exercise more. More. That was not clear enough for me. So I had to get to a one thing. I had to get to a one thing. And I had to have a few, but I had to get to a one thing I could use today or tomorrow. So I said, I, but how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? I can still remember, I'll give one idea here because of not that I'm not a healthcare expert. This is not healthcare advice, but this helps us understand the how. Okay. So I said, one doctor came up to me. I still remember, left side of the stage, 80 years old, fit as could be. I, thought, I can learn something from this guy. He said, David, I don't know if you want to use this, but here's an idea. Most men in America, if they just wouldn't drink their calories, they could eat exactly the same and they'd lose 30 to 50 pounds in one year. Well, 
I started thinking, okay, is that a final high? I can look at it. If there's calories in it, I can't drink it. I and mean, that's a final high. I can, I can apply that right now. For me, I knew I wasn't going to lose that much. I'm not a big, I, I actually just don't like alcohol. I'm not a legalist about this. Though. I just don't like alcohol that much. But when I get on the plane, I would order a Coke. Two Cokes was a meal of bad calories. You sit next to me on the plane tomorrow, you'll notice whatever I order does not have calories in it. So I, it, the point is, it's a final how. I can look at it, I can apply that. And by the way, if you use this how method on teams, your final how always has a who, when, and where. So mm-hmm. even if I'm going to work, you know this stuff, but but I'm telling you, it's harder than you think. You, I'm going to work out tomorrow morning. If I don't know it's 530, I won't do it. I'm going to work out tomorrow morning. If I don't know where, I'm either going to go to the gym or I'm going to uh, run. If I have a choice at 530, I'll do neither. When you do it on teams, and we do how plans all the time, we, we stop wasting so much time on SWOT analysis and everything else. We do how plans. The final how has to have a final person. Co-leadership is terrible. We've been lied to. Collaborative leadership is excellent, right? So if you have more than one, data shows you, our research even shows, you have, if you have uh, more than one person on a final project task, you have 50% less chance of it ever getting done. So how, 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 until you can apply it today or tomorrow, and you always can. So we'll do an example, but first, response. Yeah, I want to I jump in here because for people, I mean, th- this is on the one thing. I want to tie it to the principles of the book and so you can see exactly how tightly aligned this really is. Everybody's familiar with this image of the dominoes, the idea that a domino doesn't just knock down one of equal size. It's 50% larger. So a two-inch domino knocks over three, knocks over four and a half. By the 18th domino, you're knocking down the leaning tower or the, the leaning tower of Pisa. 23rd domino, the Eiffel Tower. 31st, you're 3,000 feet above Everest. And by the 57th domino, you can reach from the earth to the moon. It's that hockey stick growth, right? David, what you're talking about is what we call identifying the lead domino. People are really good at thinking big. I want to lose 52 pounds. Right. I want to make more money. I want to pay off my debt. I want to improve my marriage. I want to have a better relationship with my children. I want to get that promotion. We're good at understanding that result that we want. But when they ask, what do I need to do or how will I do it? Yep. They don't go small enough. And what we often see is they arrive at what we call an 18th domino, which is the leaning tower of Pisa. Even yes. though it's actually leaning, you and I both know if we went and tried to knock it over, it would not fall. It's still too big. And what you're talking about is continuing to ask how until you arrive at a lead domino. Exactly. An action. An action yep. that is so small that effortlessly it will fall. And you almost have to go backwards further than you you think. So someone will say, I'm going oh, yeah. to read more, right? Well, uh, yeah, I'm just going to start reading more. No chance. I, I, I got to get a book. If I don't have the book on that, okay, I can do that by tomorrow morning. But even then, I need to, I need to get up early. I'm going to get up earlier. When their lead actually has to be, I'm going to go to bed earlier, so I get up earlier. You, you have to back up how, how I get up earlier. Okay, I got to go to bed earlier. I'm going to go to bed earlier. I'm going to set a timer to do this. I'm going to stop watching TV. I'm going to, whatever it is, I have to go backwards to that yeah. key how that will affect the other things. And that, that's critical. And the challenge that people have, we say, think big. Go small, trust the dominoes will fall. They don't trust it. Like right. if you had just said, isolated, my one thing every time I go to take a drink is to check the can first before I put it in my mouth. And if you just 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 go ahead and read the label, 
Yeah. Before you drink anything, Dom. you'll lose 52 pounds in five months. People wouldn't believe you. But when right. you start with the end of like, I'm going to do 52 pounds and here's what I realize, and you reverse yep. engineer it, all of a sudden they can see the progression of those dominoes and go, okay, I get it. If I just check the label before I put it in my mouth. Perfect. And by the way, that gives hope. So a lot of people are stuck without hope because they're like, I can't do that, right? That can't do the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But, mm -hmm. um, and, and you always, your final how has to be something you will do. So if someone says, I can never have ice cream again, that is just not going to happen for me. I love ice cream, but I can stop for 90 days, which I did. Uh, I had to do a few more things to lose, but now I can handle it, right? Uh, because I don't also do bread, noodles, and 50 other things. So, so I'm going to keep the ice cream, but not the other things. But the, the, the final how has to be something you will do. So for some of you, you're not going to not drink a calorie. Fine. You got to find hows that you will do, whether, and this is with sales or with a better relationship with your spouse, partner, or friend. Final how. So I said, we try this. I didn't, we didn't set this up at all, but I just said, I'm going to work. I'm gonna, we're going to try something. Okay. We're going to try this out loud. You're turning the tables. And I've done this a few times yeah. in the past. It always ends up well. It's always massively uncomfortable for me and I'm good with it. So let's rock and roll. So here's the deal. I, you know, we, and we didn't walk through this, so who knows what'll happen, but I just said, I, you know, Jeff, what's something you want to change? So I think let's just, for the fun of it, we'll just see what happens. So Jeff, you know, what is something you'd like to see happen? Something you would like to change? Yeah, business is five and a half years old and it's been very successful so far. And when I look at our vision, when I did our goal setting retreat last year and asked, where do we want to be someday from now? I got clarity on that and then said, great, based on that, where do we need to be in five years to be on track for that? That made me massively uncomfortable. Because what I realized was in order to be on track for our someday vision, we would literally almost have to 20x the business in the next five years. And I can't tell you exactly how we're going to do that. Or can I? We're about to find out. Uh, so I want to, let's, we're going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to force you. I'm playing, I'm going to play the uh, host here. So, you know, I'm going to cut you off and pry a little bit and we're going to have fun. But you want to 20x the business. Okay. And I would, Think about this a little bit. Is this realistic or possible or all these kind of things? You're like, yep, all that's done. So I said, okay, so how would you start the 20X the business? What, what do you think? The one thing that I came up with was that I actually needed to fire myself from running the okay. business. Perfect. So the next is how I, I'm going to fire myself. So remember, we're drilling down, team. He's not done yet. And let me yeah. clarify. I still have a job. My job is growth, but I now have somebody who runs the business. Okay. So I'm going to fire myself as this, and that's all specific and clear. Great. Okay. So how am I going to do that? Hire a VP of operations. Perfect. How am I going to do that? I'm going to have a 15-minute time block where I will identify the two to three things that a person has to do exceptionally well. Otherwise, they're fired. Okay. How am I going to do that? I'm going to open up my calendar right now and block the 15 minutes. Now we have a final how. So we just were overwhelmed. Now, this doesn't mean this is going to be easy or there aren't other, uh, other things that have to be considered or we don't have to train the VP or the COO. Yeah. We don't have to do this. But we just finally came to something that gave us, okay, I'm going to time, I'm going to just mark it because we can always do something by today or tomorrow. And what, what, he, what he can do is he may not even have the 15 minutes yet. But he can set the 15 minutes. Jeff can set the 15 minutes in his calendar. And he came with the final how. Now he has hope. Okay, we have a process. We're going to move on this. And we start moving the right direction. And before you know it, we've howed 
several other times. Mm-hmm. And we have a VP that's actually working us toward that goal. And I know my Jeff's three things that I do. I don't do this. I don't do this, but I do. I'm in the organization. I'm still CEO. Now CEO looks like this. This is kind of fun because I've been through this process really. I recently I heard it. Uh, a chief of staff this year. I have an executive assistant. We know there are five things that David does. They're the most important things to Trust Edge Leadership Institute. If he does any more or anything different than those, it's not best for everybody involved. He does these five. Everybody else does yep. everything else. I've got four. Oh, perfect. You're even better four. than me. Even clearer. And, 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 folks, this is actually what happened. You know, realizing, okay, we are missing somebody who has actually been the number two to a number one, taking a company from startup to high growth and a bunch of other qualifications and figuring out there. I was hyper clear. They had to be able to turn a vision into plan or results. They had to be able to build and lead a high performance team. And then without slowing the business down, they had to be able to protect culture and build systems for scale. Like I was that clear. And then when I started by knocking that domino down, when people started coming in, the filter was just so clear. Have they done these three things? Can they do these three things exceptionally well? And if they answer, like it just narrowed the funnel massively quick. Well, I love this. And I think, you know, this is, we have tips and takeaways under each of the eight pillars, but this how, how, how idea, it aligns so well with one thing. It is one of many tips and takeaways under clarity. But it is a way, maybe if people sometimes you're bought in like we are on one thing and the great work we're doing, but maybe hearing a different way to get there just can jar someone out there to say, oh, that's a way to get to the lead domino. I can do how, how, how. And that's what I like about this is you and I are saying the same things. We might be using different words. It validates the fact that look at anything that you want. It starts by getting it one thing at a time. Truth is truth. We're saying the same things because we're twins today too, by the way. that And and by the way, the one thing that made that happen is I showed up and I didn't look as good as him for sound check. And so I went and I changed. <laughs> <laughs> what are the things that you see that leaders unconsciously do that undermine their trust as a leader? There are so many, and uh, you know, let me let me jump into one. I might have touched on this last time, but it won't. It's worth repeating. The research keeps showing it. Over ninety percent of people would trust their leader more if they were more transparent about their mistakes. And you know, we see this all the time. People are unwilling. They're undermining their. They're big on being transparent in certain ways. And remember, first of all, trust is bigger. You know, we believe trust is always the root issue. Trust is a little bigger and more complex than people at first think. There are many people talking about trust that maybe don't have the full picture. As an example, people will say transparency is trusted. It was like the business word of the decade, right? Transparency. But some of your kids are so transparent on social media, I don't trust you for a second, them, because confidentiality is also trusted. So we have to balance out some of these things. It can take a long time to build trust, but actually most of your trust is built in a moment, especially in crisis. And you can can extend trust to your team and get more out of them, but if you extend too much, you might have a problem. So first of all, just remember, trust can be more complex than we think. But I think the interesting piece of research here that that speaks to that the, to a, a way that leaders are kind of shooting themselves in the foot, if that's the mm-hmm. question, is they're being transparent, but not necessarily about the right things. So as an example, over 90% of people last year surveyed in the Trust Outlook Global Study, they would be uh, more trusted if they were more transparent about their mistakes. And so many people talk about their, 
You know, I'm, I'm so great. I'm opening myself up. See, I won this award and I'm this. We don't win. We don't connect on that, right? You want to see my trophy? You want to yeah, see my trophy? I, remember, cool. I graduated from Harvard, you know, whatever. So um, it, we, we, we trust each other when we're transparent about our mistakes. And I sit next to these days, sometimes next to leaders of, of countries and leaders of, of companies. And I see this imposter syndrome and they're scared to death to share who they are. And in fact, if they would be a little bit willing to be transparent, about their mistakes, people to have their back. And one more quick story here. You know, I remember when this became true for me. I, 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 uh, the, the stuff works at home too, by the way. And I, I, my oldest daughter, she's in college now, but she was like 13 or something like that. And we're on a walk and she didn't see how I lost our whole family's money when I bought a business and lost everything in two weeks before she was born and all these different things. And, and frankly, she just was a little insulated seeing me fly off to events and whatever. And my wife knows there's, there's challenge. My friends know, you know, my team knows, oh, he's got stuff to work on. But, but she, at this time, we're on a walk, 13 years old or so. And she said, I don't know if it was about academics or boys or what. She said, dad, you wouldn't understand because you're perfect. And that might sound sweet. And that's great at three years old when you're their hero completely. But at 13, you and I both know we got a problem if that's what she's seeing. Mm-hmm. And so I because she's not going to share truth with me when she has struggles, right? So I made an intention right then because I knew the research. I started sharing on our walks, places I blew it. I made this mistake today with my staff. I made this mistake on the road. I, I, I've done, you, you might not know this, but when you were growing up, I did, you know, whatever. What happened to our relationship? It just changed forever. That's all mm-hmm. for the good. And so- it's one way leaders are self-sabotaging is by actually doing the opposite of what they think. They're, they're not sharing humanity of themselves. I love that. I love that. I'm curious because oftentimes a leader doesn't get to pick their team. Sometimes they get promoted or they get brought in from the outside and there can be a lack of trust among the existing team. Mm-hmm. I have, I want to dive into this one, but first and foremost, what can they do to quickly build trust? Well, you know, there's a there's a statistic in the research of how one on ones build trust the fastest, and what nowadays that might be virtual or not. But I'll just tell you, the the first time I had a leadership role, a significant leadership role, I was in my 20s. I was in a whole different part of the country. I was, in essence, to them, I was a foreigner. Everybody else was from that part of the country. And and almost all of my team was older than me. And I was the put as the senior leader. So I told my wife when we moved there, one thing I have to do is I have to be the first one and the last one to leave every day for the first year. We don't have kids yet. I've got to show my commitment in a foreign land. So one idea is just showing commitment. I'm not saying you can always do that, but how can you show commitment? Another way, something that I instituted there was I got to have one-on-ones with everybody. If it's too big of an organization, uh, one weekly one-on-ones with everybody that is in leadership, at least. Like, and listen, listen, listen. A friend of mine, he he's the I think the greatest airport director that ever was. His name's Steve Wareham. He became the director of Minneapolis St. Paul International Airports. Now I think our airport in Minneapolis St. Paul International is the top. Of the top biggest 10 in the country has been the top airport three years in a row. Um, now he's retired and he's he's you know asked to consult on airports in Copenhagen and all over the world. But he was a, 
a leader at Pig's Eye Sewage Plant. I mean, he was he came from, you know, this sewage operations. He said the first six months when I came in and he is now an incredibly respected leader there. But he said the first six months, I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going to listen. Now, we don't always have that opportunity, but somehow you're going in as a leader. There's going to be skepticism. They don't know you yet. So if you can share yourself, if you can share your heart, if you can share your hope, here's my hope. My hope is that we would, I know you don't know me and you can honestly share. I know you don't know me yet. I, I know I don't have a track record here. I know you're wondering some things, maybe even why I'm here. I, I get it. Like being out loud about that. And then one-on-one listening to challenges and, and you, you can build buy-in the fastest one-on-one. Those are a couple ideas that I would jump to and there are more. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things I've been thinking about in preparation for this conversation is as a leader, I'll back it up. I've heard Gary say, when you look at an organization, you really have two things. You have your goals and you have your people. So the mistake that a lot of leaders make is they make their goals a movable object. I set the goal here, but I'm going to allow it to move. Mm. And when you do that, your people become immovable objects. And I just knew that Gary a long time ago made a commitment that his goals were always going to be immovable objects, which means it's about the people becoming the people they need to be to honor the goals. And if they can't become those people, then we have different conversations with empathy. How do you build trust while holding a higher standard, which can make people uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, we would call it healthy accountability. So many places, accountability is terribly unhealthy. But I'll tell you this. I'm going to give you an example of one company I went in. The VP is here. There are nine directors. Of those nine directors, eight of them are fantastic. One of them is a sloth, terrible, horrible, lazy. Who does everybody hate of these eight? The sloth or the vice president? The vice president. Because he's not doing his job of dealing with that. We want this team, right? We want this kind of team. This guy's get look at that. I mean, all good to him. He can get by with this. Now, this is the deal. If we're going to have high trust, we have to create a a way to have healthy accountability. So we teach a six-step process, but I'll just touch on a few thoughts here. Number one, it is hard to be accountable to someone if we don't feel like they care at all about us. You have to care about me as a human. I have to show care about you and care enough to say, in some cases, by the way, I've had people I hate. It's it's tough to let people go. But sometimes you're saying the best for them is about fit and they aren't the best fit here. So uh, showing care. Uh, Another way of dealing with accountability is we, we walk through this process, but we ask, are we really clear? You said they're immovable. That's great. But are we clear about the target or the goal? Are we clear, number two, about your ability? Are you able to do this in two ways? One, have we resourced you to do it? There's very few that people get frustrated if they're held accountable to something they aren't resourced to do. And, fi- and second part of that ability one is, are you capable? Are you, are you able to do this? And then we move, through, are, are there clear metrics on this? So you have this goal for the year. Or you have this goal for, um, for five years. To, you know, you got a, a 20X every year. 
but on the, are we are we having metrics along the way so we know we're hitting them so that I can pivot if needed? And a lot of people have this goal way out here, but they don't do the next thing, which is clear check-ins. A clear check-in always has a person, place, and time. So have I checked in and, and, and said, and by the way, check-ins need to be at a rhythm in our real-world calendar a day, every day, every week, every month. Not, don't give me a, well, we check in every other week, every sixth week, every, that's not natural, not going to happen. So have your check-ins. And, uh, and, and then we have clear ram- re- results. This is the place where if I've said before, we're clear on results, then I have the right as a leader to do the four R's of giving someone a redo or a ramification. You didn't get that result or a reward you did get that result or releasing. But a lot of leaders don't do this process ahead of it and they just go, well, I'm going to release you. You're fired. But they didn't say ahead of time, Here, here's where now, if you do this, you get this. If you don't do this, this what happens. Or I might give you a redo because of things we didn't know about or whatever. And then finally, I, I ask for clear commitment. How, how could I, I'm I need this? I'm, I'm a ten on it. But how committed are you? You know, I mean, one out of ten. How how, how committed are you on this part? I, I know we, but I want to know from your heart. And um, if they're below a nine, I want to say why? Why is it? Well, did you know you gave me five other things that I have to give? I just I don't think I can do it. I can't be committed to all of them. Okay, we can have a conversation. But if 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 they're saying a nine and ten, and you've given a trusted space for them to be authentic. Then you have a chance mm-hmm. that you can go back to. But the other problem, bigger problem, by the way, and I allude to it in the book, it comes out of this boardroom discussion that actually was real, is when people actually lie. Where are you at one out of 10? I'm a 10. I'm a 10 too. I'm a nine. I'm a 10. When they have no intention. And that's a whole nother trust problem. Yeah, I get it. Well, folks, I would, for those of you who are here live, I would love to open it up. What questions do you have? David, go ahead and put them in the question box. And Andrea, just work to flag those for me. You can right-click them and, and make it as a flag. Uh, David, what, why, why don't you tell them where they can get a copy of the book while those questions come in? Well, we have something special for you, for all the One Thing listeners. It is trusted leader, not the, kind of like Facebook, through trust out the truth, the out the window. So just trustedleaderbook.com slash one thing, O-N-E. T-H-I-N-G. And then you can also, if you'd like a free chapter just to jump right in, uh, you can text TRUST to 555, excuse me, 55444. And kind of fun because this book is set up. It's really cool design and beauty and and just the feel of it and everything. But first half of the book is a a business parable to just shift thinking about trust. This 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 old word we thought we knew everything about and see how it matters more than ever and how it changed the of the life of a leader in business. Really fun story. That's just quick. And then the second half is application. How tomorrow morning you can put these pillars to work. Uh, the OCD, uh, oh, excuse me, ODC method, the spa method of creating an environment of appreciation, the how, how, how method is in there. And the whole six question, 90 day quick plan is in there. The trust shield, this way of one of the most powerful exercises we talk about, you can it's right there for you to apply, create a trust shield, share it with your team. So those application pieces are right there. And if you do it, if you go to the one thing, trustedleaderbook.com slash one thing, you get a host of other resources and videos and masterclass 
just if you grab the book. If you support this work, you know, our book, it goes to work we're doing around the world and um, trying to just increase trust in leaders and organizations, global governments, even our government here in the U.S., policing work and trust. We have, we have a certified coach as an example just in Indonesia that uses this trust work with uh, executives, oil and executives, but she also uses it for girls coming out of trafficking to rebuild trust. And so we're passionate about this work and we thank you for supporting it and really, you know, being a part of this through the book or any of the other assets we'd love to love to give you generously. Yeah. You said that this goes beyond business. Well, it absolutely. I mean, talk a little bit more about, I mean, whether it's with a spouse, yeah. whether it's with your kids, how do you be purposeful there? So I often get intimate about this and talk about it. It changed me. It changed my leadership. It changed my parenting. It. I, I've had people come to me, by the way. I have a, a sales guy. I still remember a burly, tough sales guy. I spoke at the, you know, the annual meeting one year. He came back the next year, and he s- said, you know, I knew this would help me with sales. In fact, it helped me triple my sales. But I want to tell you something else. And he got teary eyed. I mean, as a few hundred pound guy, this last year, it, it saved my marriage. Hmm. And so I'm passionate about that. There are several takeaways in the book that you can use at work, like appreciating people and being present, same at home, right? So um, a couple ideas. One of those I just kind of shared, be transparent, even as parents. Hey, we're not perfect, right? All that kind of stuff. One of the ideas under the uh, under the character pillar we talk about is, is having kind of guiding principles for your family. And in fact, we had these guiding principles. We call them the horse soccer tenants. We had them on the table. And and basically, a uh, kitchen table where we eat breakfast and everything. I remember every kid, by the time they're five years old, by, by the time they're two years old, they knew them all. They could list them. Oh, yeah, this one. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, that one. But they also, kids, will help keep you accountable to what you say. One of ours, as an example, was be generous. Now, whenever this was, 15 years ago, uh, my oldest daughter um, we, we were just talking. I'd started flying more, and my wife is home. You got these four kids, five and under, it's crazy town. And and I just thought, you know, we need to get her a safer, a newer vehicle, maybe. And we had a suburban, decent, decent vehicle from Minnesota, certainly, but just thought we'd need to upgrade. And so started talking about it at the, at the dining room table. And and you, it just so you all know, when I started back in the, I have to tell my kids back in the 1900s, we Lisa and I started our first business with a dollar forty to our name black mold in the basement of 86-year-old Clara Miller's with no bathroom, kitchen, or windows. So we'd go upstairs and share hers. We had nothing. And so, you know, I, I kind of still would go to that kind of like, not that abundance mentality, like, oh, we should trade this in and get as much as we can, whatever. But she saw us grow. And, and, and I still remember this. I said, um, my daughter said, we started talking about uh, trading in the vehicle. And uh, and she said, well, isn't one of our values be generous? Doesn't that person from church need a vehicle? Shouldn't we give it away? We ended up giving away that vehicle. They held us to those guiding principles and values. So one way is having values and a mission as a family. There are many others, but there's an idea. I will. So we um, we just came out with these mm. the core values deck. So we, we curated 140 different core values. And uh, you can figure out what your top three are. And I got clear on mine. It brought me immense clarity on what I needed to be saying yes to in my role with the company. But my wife last year 
when she finally got clarity on hers. Hmm. Order, safety, experience. It was like a light bulb went on in our marriage. Because Hmm. all of a sudden, we were able to understand, oh, this is why cleaning the house being in a certain order is so... I used to be like, gosh, why is it... Why does this have to be put away? Like, why it's not, let's not make a mountain out of a molehill, but understand like, oh, that's order. Mm -hmm. Safety. She's not a backseat driver. She just likes safety. (laughs) Oh, going to a nice restaurant for a date isn't actually a date. She wants an experience. Like the moment when you Mm. understand your values, it becomes a compass for the decisions you can make. I can't speak highly of it enough. It's, It's a game changer. And especially doing it with your team, like... It's huge. I love that your daughter knew that. And and by the way, that trust shield activity pulls in nine areas. And one of them is guiding principles. You can do that activity with your family. We've had sports teams that have said they their sales went up. I mean, their their wins went up because of it. They do it in spring training. Um, you can do it with your your team, but it's a way of kind of defining yourself. Yeah, Socrates said, you know, know yourself. You gotta, if you're gonna be a great leader, you gotta know yourself, you're gonna lead yourself. And then, then the second part of it is when we share that with others, who we really are, our values, our, our, our priorities, our, our weaknesses and strengths and some of these things, part yeah. of the trust shield, we actually start to, that shield does this create, the paradox of the shield is it protects, right? It's a weird paradox because the more vulnerable we are with the right people in the right way, the more it actually protects us. So it's one way that trust works. And I'll just second the accountability from the kids. I'll always remember the first time I was doing dishes and my daughter was like five or six at the time and said, daddy, play with me. And I said, honey, I'm doing the dishes. I'll be right there. And she looked at me and said, daddy, are the dishes your one thing or am I? Um, (laughs) Mic drop. Oh man. Yesterday I had a a training and my wife wanted to leave our five-year-old son at home. And I was like, you got to take Dean. I got this training. It's super important. And he looked at me and said, Daddy, please, I'll respect your time block. And I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, you oh. can stay. You can stay. Yeah. Uh, hey, great question. Training. Bring them right in. Have them sit up front. That's good. That's we, right. Yeah, try, my kids was here. She would totally be phonobombing this. Yeah, my kids have spent more time in uh, in the ocean in East Africa, I think, in India with our work there than, than they have in, a, in, in the Gulf or something in the U.S. So it's so like, cool. bring, bring, you know, parent on the fly. Brian asked a great question, which is, what's the best way to build trust with an audience that you're marketing to? Well, you can, this is a great question, but the way we would look at this is I would go through the eight pillars. I'm not trying to make it complicated, but I would go through and say, am I clear? Am I showing compassion to that audience? Am I having a character that's authentic? Am I showing commitment to them? Am I, are we giving them the result contribution? Are we giving them the result they need? Am, are, is this consistent with who we are in every mm-hmm. And so I just, I, I mean, because all eight are important, I don't know. One of those is most important to you. I just don't know from this short time together. So you can look through those eight and say, does this message, is it consistent? Is it clear? I will say a couple things. I mean, clarity. Let, let's just take how we contextualize just briefly. Take mm-hmm. the clarity pillar because we talked about that quite a bit. Clarity for the leader might be, you've got to be clear about that vision. Now. Not just annually. Don't forget the consistency pillar. If you're not sharing the vision every 21 days, nobody knows it. So they aren't clear. You just lost clarity because you lost consistency, right? So that's that's they go together. For the salesperson, this would be really important for your audience, um, that, that audience question that was just asked. And that is, a lot of salespeople are really clear about how cool they are, 
how long they've been in business, but they're not clear about the benefits to me, the potential buyer. So even what you're clear on, think about that. Because remember, it's what serves the buyer. Clear about so many people spend so much time on proposals and everything about how cool they are, and it, it, nobody cares. Clear about the benefit. You know, for the teacher, it's it's still clarity, but th- that teacher isn't like because they're not clear about the assignments, and so every kid goes home frustrated because it's a lack of clarity about the assignment. The kids are frustrated, so it could be clarity anywhere. But with that message you're talking about, I would just take a look at this. Are am I absolutely clear? Could I cut anything out? Am I showing compassion and so forth? Yeah, I love that. Just reviewing the eight pillars and asking how are we doing on these. One of the things that we always talk about in our community around the one thing called living your one thing is that the purpose of a goal is to be appropriate in the moment. It seems very similar to purpose and synergistic with your idea of how at least three times to get really specific. Okay, we're just drawing the connection. So I appreciate that. There was a question, are the eight pillars discussed in the trusted leader? They are. And so um, I want to say something to your, to your gentleman. Yeah. The, it, we talk about the MVP. There's a lot of clarity is a massive pillar. They all are. But I just touched on how, how, how. That gets to what I can do tomorrow. That doesn't mean I, there isn't a whole nother part we call the MVP, mission, vision, values, and priorities. Uh, we talk about a whole lot of things there. You talk about alignment. We have a whole alignment process. We have a whole clear communication process, which is clear. Like the ODC, have I looked, shared the outcome, the deadline, and asked for clarifying questions? So, so you know, we looked at this glimpse. Once you have that mission, how you live in that out every day, you can ask the how, how, how. I love so, that. Are the eight pillars discussed? Um, so yes, they came out of the original research. You know that landed a lot of that landed in the trust edge. It, the the problem is, of course, the since it's research based, the eight pillars are still true. We've learned a lot in the last twelve years since trust edge was written. So in the back half of the book, the eight pillars are there, and it's all new actionable ideas a leader or parent or salesperson can use tomorrow morning that aren't in the trust edge. Same eight pillar framework, but I would say this about trust the leader, that they're just actionable and quick tips and takeaways. And trust edge has some of that too, and a lot of great stuff for deeper and organizational trust. But I mean, we t- we just picked a few usable tomorrow morning ideas under the eight pillars for trust. Here's the thing I'll say, folks. If, if you feel like you can improve your leadership by focusing on your trust, then please do us a favor and support David because not only do we believe it'll serve you, but also when the book launches, like the way the algorithms work, it helps him reach more people. So if you go to trustedleaderbook.com slash one thing, and that's O-N-E-T-H-I-N-G, you can pre-order the book right now. It goes live on the 30th. That would just mean the world to us that you would be supporting him. That would thank you. And yeah, and for the free chapter grateful. of the book, there are some people who are international that the text sure. didn't work. Is there a way that they can get it as well? They can. You know what I would do, and I'm just going to give it to you. Just if if zero if if texting trust to five five four 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 doesn't work, Gabe G A B E at trustedge.com will take immensely beautiful care of you. And he'll throw in some extra videos and everything else just because you had a problem today. So you just want a bunch of extra stuff. Just Gabe, G-A-B-E at trustedge.com. You have issues, you want the book, he'll probably give you something else free. Uh, Just because he's that kind of guy, just do that. And I'm very sorry if the text didn't work. Is, Is he in the room giving you a look right now? No, but I'm sure he is from outside the studio because I think he can hear through the walls. 
So good. Well, folks, um, we're in the business of time, specifically becoming the type of people who invest it instead of spending it. Based on everything you heard today over the last hour, what's the one thing you can do? Such that by doing it would make building trust as a leader easier or unnecessary. Well, folks, thanks so much for investing your time with us. It means the world. We genuinely do this to to serve you and to help expand your mind when it comes to, to living the one thing. So David, thank you for your contributions. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, one thing. Thanks to the whole team that I know supports you well, and that's been a treat. If this episode has brought value to you, please consider sharing it with at least one person. And if you're new to the One Thing podcast, click the subscribe button so all future podcasts will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And while you're at it, would you consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast player? It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.